0: Okay, we're gonna start with the mission on the bottom of Kufmer M'chetam at Bet. The mission says, Mone Adam et Orchav vet parberotav. Person can list, enumerate out the guests vet parberotav and the desserts that he has available. Mipif. Can do that orally. Avol m'linaktav, but he can't do it off a written list. Gumar will discuss all of these issues. Mipis Adam imbanav vimbne beito Shulchan. Person can throw lots with his family at the table. As long as the lots don't involve someone getting a bigger piece and someone getting a smaller piece. And you can throw lots on the Kodoshim, the koanim to divide up the Kodoshim, you can throw lots. And do this on Yom Tov and not on the portions. Again, the Gemara is going to go piece by piece and explain the Mishnah. So my time. what is the reason here that a person can only do this orally and not off a written list? But Bibi Amar, Zerah, Shemayim Khok, we're worried about him erasing. If he realizes that he doesn't have sufficient supplies, food, to bring in all the guests, he's going to erase a name from the list, because he has to ask the shamash to go out and invite the people in. In their day, they used to have a list, the shamash would go out, go to the houses, call the people to come over to the meal. So if he has a list of people who he's planning on inviting, all of a sudden he realizes he doesn't have enough food for all those people, and he wants to eliminate someone from the list, and now he's going to give the list of the Shema. She needs to get that name off the list. What's he going to do? He's going to erase that name on Shabbat. So we're worried about him erasing it from the list. Therefore, it's okay to do it orally, but not from a list. We're worried about him reading other documents on Shabbat. Rashi says, what are those other documents that he's going to read on Shabbat? Rashi says, You're going to read business documents. On Shabbat, if you're reading this, you're going to say, wait, I can read this, I can read this, and you'll come to read documents that are other, otherwise not readable on Shabbat or are inappropriate for Shabbat. Now, over here, the Tosafot notes here that earlier in the Mesechta that Rashi mentioned, when we mentioned these Shtariyadro before, he said that they were igrot, hashluchot lim They were these letters to go find something that you had lost, Oh, other things, Rashi over there does not say "Mecha HaMemkar earlier in the Masechta. Tosot over there disagreed with Rashi about exactly what these uh, Shtarot were. But again, over here, Rashi says that the Shari HaJotot are Mechach Memkar. This is the general problem that we discussed in the past about what exactly you're allowed to read on Shabbat and that you shouldn't read things that takes one's mind away from the Shabbat, especially Mechach is obvious business documents or anything of that sort. But over there, Tosafot also mentioned the issue of reading things that weren't in the spirit of Shabbat as well. And so all of those are included in this restriction. What's not included, he says, are you Shalom, where someone sends you a letter of greetings where you get information. And he says sometimes there's sakanat Nefashot in there because he's telling you information that's important. So those letters you're allowed to read. But otherwise, what we call newspapers, magazines, may not be the most appropriate on Shabbat. So Nagmar says, May Benayu. What's the difference between these two opinions? He didn't write it on a piece of paper, but rather he wrote it on the wall, high up on the wall. So, The one who says you're going to erase it, you're not going to erase it, it's high up on the wall. The one who says that you can read, you'll read over there, you'll go read for the list up there, and you'll read other documents. According to the one who says the problem here is erasing, why doesn't he worry about reading? Why doesn't he worry about the same problem that the other opinion worries about? which is, why doesn't he worry about the fact that you're going to read this and then come to read other documents? Vitu, too. Yim Choch, just because it's high up on the wall, we're not choshesh for the problem. V'atanya, don't we have a ikra, lo Oraner? this is all the way from the beginning of the Masechta, that one may not read by a lamp. Why can't you read by a lamp? Because we're afraid, Shem because maybe you'll tilt the lamp, and then you'll cause the flame to expand, and... There will be an Easter of Shabbat. Over there, that statement was qualified by Rabbo and said that even if it's two stories high and you cannot reach it, the takanat hakhamim is in place. Even though in this situation it won't matter because you can't reach the lamp. Even if it's two ox goats high, even if it's ten stories high, it does not matter. You cannot use a lamp on Shabbat. That is the takanat hakhamim. So over here, you should say the same thing. If you're problem is Hashem Yimchok, it doesn't matter that it's all the way up on the wall. It doesn't matter if it's right in front of you. We should worry about Shemi Yimchok, Lo Yikra. You're not allowed to use or read by the lamp. So let's think about what the situation where we're going to have a difference in their opinion is. That he wrote it on the wall, but low down on the wall. We do worry about it because it's low enough down that you can erase things. The mandamar Hashem Yikra, Lo the person who says that maybe you'll come to read it. We don't worry about it. Guda b'shtar alomichlef. Wall doesn't get mixed up with a shtar. A wall is different than a document. Just because you're reading from the wall doesn't mean you're going to end up reading from a document. So now the Gemara goes the other way and says, according to the one who says, that fear here is that you might come to read other documents. Why does he worry about the fact that you might erase it here? In case that he etched it into a tablet or onto a ledger. So it's etched in there. So this is not going to be a problem. We don't worry about it. Because Rashi says it's not easy to erase. It's not like regular writing where you can erase it. Here it's a significant action to erase it. But by the time you get around to erasing it or working on erasing it, you'll remember it's Shabbat, and you won't do it. According to one who says that the problem is reading, you have a ledger, you have a tablet, that may get confused with documents. The I poses the same question again. Just because you're not worried about erasure, why aren't you worried about him reading it and confusing it with other documents? If you want to say that a tablet and a ledger with a shtar don't get mixed up, so that will be his taino. The argument will be whether it does get mixed up or not. We have a problem because we have a A Person can enumerate how many people is going to sit in the inside chamber, how many is going to sit on the outside chamber. You can imagine. What that meant that one place was a place of kavod, the other place was not such a place of kavod. What are the dishes that he's going to put out before them? You're allowed to do this from writing that's on the wall. But not from writing that is on a tablet or a ledger. What's the case here in this B'raitha? If it's written, If it's written, If it's just written in dio, why is it different if it's written on the wall, whether it's written on a ledger or on the tablet? The case there must be that it's etched, engraved. That's only good when it's written on the wall. But not something that is etched onto a tablet or to a ledger. So it can't be. We have an explicit breitah that says that etching on a tablet and a ledger is no good to use on Shabbat. If that's the case, one of the Amoraim here can't have that opinion that it's okay, because then he'll have a problem with this breitah. So obviously that is not the case. Hello, Olam, what is this pivotal case which shows us key difference between these opinions? koto We're back to square one. That It's written on the wall, but it's all the way up high. the Oh, what was our problem with it being high up on the wall? Was the problem of Rabbah. rabba's qualification of lo yi kralo or lo air. the one may not read by a lamp. There, Rabbah said, why is even if it's out of reach, the gzera still applies? So over here too, when it's out of reach, the gzera shall still apply. The Rabba tanahi. Rabbah's qualification is actually a machloket and that machlok tanaim now these two amoraim will subscribe to those two opinions, and that'll be the difference between them. The person can. Enumerate his guests, his desserts by heart, but not from a written list. Rabbi Acha Matir Michtav Shal gabayakoto. Rabbi Acha says it's fine if it's written on the wall. Hey, what is this bright to talking about? If it's written low down on the wall, let's worry about the fact that he might erase it. That it's written high up on the wall, and therefore we no longer have a fear of erasure. And from that you see that is a machloketanaim. Because up high on the wall, there's no longer a problem of Shemayim Chok, because it's so high up. The only reason we said before that we had a fear of Shemayim Chok was because it was this gzera of Rabba, or this qualification of Rabba that said we don't care where it is, if it's Shema Yim it's a problem. We said, well now we have a writer that says that's not so straightforward. There's one tan who says it is a problem, one ta'an who says it's not a problem. Ah, uh, what about the problem of reading? Shema Yikra. So the Machok here will be whether they confuse a wall with other documents. So the one who says, Abaye who says that, Xera Shema Yikra, in this case, they will say it a problem, even when it's written high on the wall. If we allow you to read off the wall, you're going to come to read other documents. And that's our fear, and then it would be a sewer. According to Rav who says the here is Shema Yimchok, Shema Yimchok you're not going to worry about because it's high up on the wall. Rav qualification we're also not going to worry about because he has Ravacha in the Brite, who says that we don't worry about it when it's high up. So he has an opinion that supports that idea when it's high up on the wall that it's not a fear. Fear of Shemi Yikra, what about the fact that you might come to read other documents because of that? He doesn't worry about that because it's on the wall. And he says you're not going to mix up a wall with a star, And so that would be the key difference between these two opinions or a way to illustrate the difference between these two opinions is when it's written high on the wall, then Rabibi would say it's fine and Abai would say it is problematic. Again, in most situations, as we just saw, they have the same opinion because Shem Kok and Shem will end up giving you the same problem in most situations. V'hani t'naik, And this Makhluk is similar to another Makhluk that we have. in inroin Bimara b'shabat. One is not allowed to look. If you look in Rashi, it says mirror. One's not allowed to look in a mirror on Shabbat. He says, it's okay if the mirror is affixed to the wall. Why does it make a difference if the mirror is affixed to the wall? Because he'll remember. What's our fear? Our fear is, he's going to look in the mirror and he's going to see that he's unkempt. He's going to see that hair is out of place. That some of his beards out of place and he's going to cut it. He's going to do something to fix the problem. By doing so, he'll be in violation of Shabbat. So we don't want him looking in the mirror because he might take action to rectify what he sees in the mirror. So the Gemara says, okay, so why does a mirror being affixed to the wall help you out? So Rabbi Meir suggests, Adalchi, Yochi, Midgar. He'll remember because he'll have to go get the instrument to cut. And while he goes to fetch the instrument, he'll remember that it's Shabbat and he won't do it. I says, Sheinu anami. Why don't you say the same thing with a portable mirror? By the time he gets the scissors, the razor that he needs to cut, he'll also remember it. The says, no, because the portable mirror is dealing with a metallic mirror and has sharp edges. What is the problem with having a metallic mirror on Shabbat? because he can use the sharp edges of the metal mirror to slice off whatever he thinks is out of place so the tool in hand so the problem with the portable mirror is that you have both the mirror and the tool in your hand and it'll be too fast, you won't remember that it's Shabbat. On the other hand, if it's affixed to the wall, you can't use it, because it's not a tool, and then you'll have to fetch whatever tool you need, whether it's a razor or a scissor, and in that time period, you'll remember that it's Shabbat. But we see here that there's a machlok tanaim. Machlok tanaim to whether, when it's affixed to the wall, is that enough? Rabbi Meir says, once it's affixed to the wall, we don't worry about it anymore. The Tanakhama says that even when it's affixed to the wall, we still worry about the kazera of cutting off the mirror, even though this mirror particularly you can't do it. So that's similar to this other machlok tanaim. When we have a gzera t'chachamim, do we worry about it even when the gzeira is not true? Over here we have the Tanakhama saying, even when the mirror is affixed to the wall, we still worry about it. In the previous bright that we had, the Tanakhama believing even when it's high up on the wall. And there's no fear of erasure, we still worry about that erasure on the wall. So we see that these Tanaim subscribe to that same opinion. And obviously they have the Machloket Acha and Rabbi Meir in both these instances say, if the gzeira is not applicable, then we don't worry about the gzeira. So that's the machloket in both of these Braytot and they revolve around the same issue, which is a gzerat that's not applicable in a specific case. If it's not applicable in that specific case, do we say that doesn't matter, the gzera is still in place, and you can't do it, or do we say the fact that the is not relevant in this case makes it mutar. And that's a machloket in both of those braitot. Tanarabanan. Tav Hamaleh Takaratsura. If you have writing that goes below a picture to describe the picture, or under images of people, one may not read it on Shabbat. That's the problem here. We're afraid that if you read from these items, then you also end up reading the same fear that we had before. And David says, Ah, you see from here, proof that they had pictures of people. Mer says, the images of people, even on a weekday you can't look at. Forget about the writing under them. You can't even look at the images. Why? Do not turn yourself towards these other gods. Talmudah. So what's the Limud from that that tells you you can't look at these images? Amar Rabbi Don't turn to these gods that are of your own making. Now Rashi interprets it interesting. Rashi says, El Atemosim? Midat levavchem, that which you make of your own accord. Vichalal shelachem, of your body, of your image. Elilim, l'shon chalalim. So Rashi says that these elilim here is translated as halalim. So don't do of your own volition, or go to look at things of your own volition, which means images of yourself that you have drawn. Tosafot over here says that it has to be, that we're talking about in to l'shem it has to be that he made it for avodah zarah purposes. Ava Lenoi mutar. If it's simply for decorative purposes, why is there any problem in terms of decorative images? Now you should know that Tosafot in general is much more megal in this, especially in the Gemara and avodah zarah, that he discusses it there. The we don't necessarily follow everything that Tosafot says in this area because there are those that argue on Tosafot. Tosafot says that if it was simply for noy, if it was only decorative in nature, that would not be a problem to have an image. Of an individual. Maybe sadam imbanav. A person can throw lots with his family. Imbanav vim benei in. That's only true with his immediate family. V'imacher lo. But with someone else, a third party, that would not be the case. My timer. What's the reason that we don't allow you to throw lots with other people on Yom Tov and Shabbat at the table? Kedrev Yehudam ar Because we have a problem like Rehudam Ar Shmuel says, Damrev Yehudam Ar Shmuel b'nei chabura mazel You have a bunch of people get together, but they're makbit on each other. They're in a partnership here to eat together. And that partnership is a business partnership, not out of friendship. It's simply about all of them eating together. So then they're makpid. If you take a bigger piece, I want a bigger piece. You take 20, I want 20. Therefore what happens? They're going to come to measuring and enumerating and borrowing and lending on Yom Tov. The question is, are they really going to end up in these transactions? So Rashi says all of these problems are Xerah Shemi Ychtov, Problem that you might write down in order to adjust or to account for the differences between you. So the problem is Shemi so Yachtov. Tosafot over here speaks about it extensively, about what the issue is. And in the end, he it says, it's not literally that they're gonna come and do this. Mida Mishkal minyan, But it's gonna enter into a position where there is a high likelihood that you will come to midah Mishkal Uminyan. Because of the Hakbada between them. Because of the nature of the interactions between them. On the other hand, when it comes to other people, even neighbors who are Makbid about being, things being returned and so on and so forth, over there, they're Mokhal on small differences and also do it in Lashon She'elah. They'll do it in Lashon She'elah, which is permitted at the beginning of the parak. versus these people that sit at the same table are going to do it in Lashon because of this business partnership between them. So the it says, it may not be that they're going to do these particular items, but they're going to come very close, or it's going to look like it, because they're makpid on each other, it's going to look like they're doing these Avodot on Shabbat. But either way, we don't allow people to join together in this situation. It are divrei Hillel, Hillel who we saw yesterday, Achmishum May end up with Rebit, which is, if you trade between you food items, and then you pay it back and the prices change later on, then you end up with Rebit. So you're gonna have all these problems. Says, nami. Why isn't that a problem for your family? Why aren't all these issues a problem for the family? So the Samuel says, The reason by his family it's not a problem is because another member of Rabbi Yehuda, but this time in the name of Rav, not in the name of Shmuel. You can lend to your immediate family with interest. So they should learn how devastating interest is. The compounding effect of interest is. The reason you can do this is because you own everything. The father owns everything. And in the end, all the money belongs to the father. And all the portions here belong to the father. So if you lend with ReBeat, it's not like they're making money. It's just circulating internally the same money. If you're paying for your kids to eat, and then you lend them with ReBeat, and they have to pay you ReBeat back. They're getting their interest from your money anyway to pay you back. But the idea is that it's an educational idea to charge rebeat so they understand the power or the poison of interest, and therefore it's permitted. That's why we don't worry about it. Marsez, If that's the case. Why is the Mishnah saying, Manak Dola Manak Tana Nami? Why isn't it that you're allowed to have big portions against smaller portions? If it all belongs to the same person, then why is there an issue here of trading between smaller and bigger portions? I understand when we're dealing with third parties it's a problem, because then basically you're rolling the dice to see whether you get the bigger piece. Or the smaller piece, which we'll see in a second, is problematic. But when it all belongs to the one individual, then why does it make a difference? It says, you're right. In the Mishnah, it should be different. And it's missing words in the Mishnah. A person can throw lots at the table for the portions. Even if it's a big portion versus a smaller portion. my What's the reason for that? Because because of Rabbi Huda Amara, which we just saw, that when it comes to your immediate family, there is no restriction. Why is there no restriction? Because it's all one person's money. It's owned by one person. There's no real trading that's going on here. On the other hand, in that's true by his family. But by third parties, that's not true. My time. Why can't you do this with third parties? Who we just saw before at the end of the previous Amur. Because then it starts to look like you're horse trading. It looks like you're going to do Mida, Mishkal, Minyan. And possibility repeat because of this between the people, between different individuals, and then you're going to come to this trading, which is going to look like you're measuring, that you're weighing, that you are counting, enumerating, and possibly repeat. Now, is not only problematic on Shabbat or Yom Tov for these third parties, but it's even problematic on a weekday. It's a problem of dice. It's a problem of gambling. What's going to happen? You have a big portion, a small portion. And you're going to basically roll the dice between you to figure out who gets which portion. Is that a logical way to go about it? The answer is no. You have a 50-50 shot of getting the big piece or the small piece. So why would you enter into a game of risk like that? You enter into a game of risk like that because you really think you're going to get the bigger piece. And that's what we call an asmakhta. An asmakhta is you enter into an agreement or into a kenyan only on the premise or the thought process that you're going to be the winner. You don't expect to lose. The only reason that you're willing to accept the odds is because your expectation is that you're going to win. And therefore, when when it turns out that you lose, you're really a sore loser. And the Kenyan doesn't really take effect because your Kenyan was all premised on you winning. It wasn't a full-fledged Kenyan, what we call Gmirat Adat. You don't have in your mind that you're really going to go through this. You're only going through this because you assume you're going to get the bigger portion. And that's what we call Asmachtolokanya. It's a subya that is discussed in Sanhedrin with regards to Psule Dim. About Misakek Kubio, what is the problem? There, the Gemara brings two reasons as to what the problem is. One is a smacht ologanyo, which is what the Gemara mentions over here. Tosfot notes that we don't pass them that way. We pass in like the second opinion in Sanhedrin, that the problem of gambling is because of Yishuvot Lodam. It's an unproductive endeavor. And so therefore, we don't want people engaged in this because they're just going to ruin the world. They're going to not care about other people's property. They're not going to care about stealing. There's a certain mindset that comes with gambling That is destructive in nature, and is not productive. So therefore, we assert gambling, or gambling is problematic for that reason. Difference, someone doesn't do it for their livelihood. They only do it for entertainment in small portions, then it may not be problematic, because... Then it's not really a endeavor to make a living. It's simply a form of entertainment. If it's a form of entertainment, maybe then it could be mutar. There are major problems with this. I discussed it more in Sanhedrin when we did it there. But just note that the modern day lottery in Israel, Rabbi Yosef thinks might be problematic because of this problem of smachto l'kanya. Because when you buy it, the odds are so far stacked against you that when you buy, it, you only buy because you think you're going to win, and therefore the money given over is not given over with a full heart. Others say that the odds are so far fetched that you know that when you give the dollar, you're not expecting anything back in return right exactly it's a but donation to this meaning that you assume you're not going to win if it happens that you get lucky it's you're the stars align on your day and you win fine but when you give it in you know that the likelihood of you getting that money back is very low it's a game of chance but the chances are so low that maybe people have gamier after that in that case I just know the poskim discussed lotteries and different issues like that in the context of the masachik B'kubiah. They <speaking in Hebrew> may oh, We said before you can throw lots over the Khalashim. Mai avalo You're not allowed to do the portions. Amar of Yaakov. Here the geirus probably should be brought. The bat Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, meaning the grandson of Yaakov. Where's his father? We saw this actually early in the Masechta when he was quoted. You can see over here on the right side, he says, Because Meshum Aviv right? Rashi says, in Irvin, his father was not a good individual, a proper individual. Therefore, they skip over him in discussing his lineage, they go to his grandfather. Aval lo'almanot shalchol You cannot throw lots on the weekday portions, the portions that were from the previous day. You cannot throw lots on yomtov to divide those up. Rashi says, pshita. Why should you be able to? You could have done it before Yom Tov, so why should you be allowed to do it on Yom Tov? Because it says in the Pesuv and O'Shea, that your nation is like those quarrelsome Kohanim. So we know, when you have a Mashao and Nimshal, if the Nimshal is a quarrelsome Kohanim, it means that the Kohanim are quarrelsome, they fight. What are they fighting over? They're fighting over the portions of the Kodashim. So since they are quarrelsome, maybe to prevent that problem, we will allow you to throw lots, even on Yom Tov, for those weekday portions, Kamash that we don't allow it, even though they might quarrel over it. Should have taken care of it earlier, and we're not going to give them a dispensation to do it on Yom Tov. Okay, now we're going to have a series of Memoroth that are not connected. The connection between them is Amar Rav Yaakov brought the Yaakov. Rav Yaakov, the grandson of Yaakov. We had a similar thing in yesterday's daf. We had a bunch of memroth that were brought down that were Rava Bar Rav Khanan asking a question to Abaye. We well, had a series of questions like that. Those connected a little better. They were mostly topical, but still, the reason that they're all brought together is because it's the same questioner to the same individual over here. Again, it's a memroth from Amar Rav Yaakov brought the Bat Yaakov. Anybody who causes someone else to be punished because of them, they may not enter the Mechitza of HaKadosh How do we know this is true? By the way, this is a tremendous Musar, and we're going to see in a second that it's even for people who are seemingly innocent. Because it says in the Nevi, who will go and seduce HaKadosh and he'll go up to battle in Ramot Gilad and he'll fall there. He'll die there. He had all these volunteers coming forward and saying, I'll do it this way. I'll do it this way. Then the wind comes out. I will seduce him to go up there. And how will you do this? It will be a false nivua. In all of those false nevi'im, Vayomer, Hashem grants him permission and says, Tifateh, go and seduce him." Vgam tuchau, and succeed. Say, v'asekein, go out and do as such." VeAmrinan ruach. What is this spirit that we're talking about here? Amar Rabbi Yochanan Zeruchos on Navot. Navota Israeli. Navota Israeli was the person whose kerem Ahab desired. His wife, Izevel, sets up a case, frames him, and has him killed by Ede Sheker on behalf of Achav. So who comes to take revenge on Achav, in a sense, is this Ruach, the spirit of Navot Israeli, who was killed improperly by Achav and Izevel. So then it says, say?" what does it mean, go out? Amrav, Say me di. go out of my mechitza, out of my area. What do you see? You see that because Navot Israeli was the cause for Achav being punished, that he's excluded now from the confines of a Baruch baruchu because he caused someone else to be punished. It's an amazing thing. Navot the Israeli, in a sense, is completely innocent here. It was his kerem, he didn't want to sell, it was Nachalat Avutav, and they killed him. And he was an innocent, almost bystander in the whole process. Yet, when it comes to the fact that Achav is now being punished because of Navot the Israeli... Then, Nabothi Israeli really loses a certain standing in a Baruch Hu. The fact that he now will no longer will be able to go into the Mechitz of a Hu. If I says, no, maybe that's not the case. The Mahatmainotama, maybe the reason that he can't enter the Mechits of a Baruch Hu is the one who speaks falsehoods will not stand. Meaning that Hashem doesn't allow people who lie to come in there. What was the Ruach? The Ruach went out and caused a false Nivu'ah. The reason he's not allowed into the area of HaKadosh Baruch because of the lying, the Sheker, not because of the problem of having Achav being punished on his behalf. So just note that this comes up in other areas in terms of tefillah. This Gemara in brings up that you have to be careful when you daven, that when you daven we tell the truth. When we stand before a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that you can only tell the truth and there's no dover shkarim. One of the reason it comes up is by Tisha Bav, by the tefillah that we add in of nachem, which talks about Yushalayim that is still destroyed. And so many want to amend the nachem because of this problem of dover shkarim loikon, that you can't speak falsehoods. That's not true today. Yushalayim is not b'churbanah. Yushalayim is b'vinyanah. So there are all sorts of answers starting with it's not the physical Yerushalayim it's the spiritual Yerushalayim to those that really did change the Nachem and want to adjust the Nachem in order that it won't be because we can't come before Kodesh Baruch Hu and then speak truths. So maybe it's from here. Savata kalon Mikavot. You have been satiated with embarrassment instead of honor. Shte gamata You should drink you and the uncircumcised one. Savata kalon Mikavot. Who's that referring to? Zed nebuchadnezzar. Talking about nebuchadnezzar. Shte gamata Zed Talking about Meaning that tzidkiyah is not going to be thrown in the bundle with nebuchadnezzar because we'll see in a second tzidkiyah caused the problem for nebuchadnezzar. Kada first of all the gemara says I don't like that explanation. The Active. it's easy to read the puzzle talking all about Nebuchadnezzar in that case Tzidkiyah was a righteous meaning that he was an innocent bystander what should he have done now the Gemara here is referencing something that's going to come up later in the Gemara which is that Nebuchadnezzar after he used to conquer different nations he used to take the kings and sodomize the kings from those nations so Tzidkiyah was his next on his list in terms of kings that he was going to sodomize. So the Gemara says, first of all, Tzidkiyah didn't do anything to cause Buchanetz to be punished. He was, in, again, an innocent bystander. He didn't do anything. He had no control over the situation. That's number one. Number two is that the whole post we can explain it referencing Bukhanez, which we're going to see later on in the Gemara, which is that when he came to sodomize Tzidkiyah, it says there that his Arel, his uncircumcised limb, grew with 300 amot and made it impossible for him to sodomize Tzidkiyah. So the Gemara will see later on is going to dash in the pasuk in that manner, referencing Nebuchadnezzar. So there was some sort of extraordinary event that took place that ended up protecting Tziddiah from Nebuchadnezzar. The Gemara says, I don't like that explanation because there the Gemara was trying to suggest that Tziddiah was being punished for Nebuchadnezzar getting into trouble with him. The Gemara says it's not the case because I can read the pasuk otherwise. <inaudible> when that. Rasha wanted to do to that tzaddik such and such, and we see that the Gemara the Agarata, when it references him, calls him a tzaddik. Not necessarily that he is a tzaddik, but he is a tzaddik in this situation. That he's not wrong in this situation, because he's a ne'anas. He was forced into this situation. Elem It's from here. Gamanosh la tzaddik lo tov. So, the punishment of the tzaddik lo tov is no good. Ain lo tov elorat. Lo tov means that it's bad. Uchtib, and it says, You are not a god that likes evil. And bad or evil will not dwell with you. So what do you see from this? That Ra will not dwell with God. So that's the Gamma Nosh When the Tzadik causes punishment, he'll be classified like Ra. And Ra is not allowed into the habitation of a God. So we see from there, that's the Tzadik Atah Hashem. The Lo You are a Tzadik Hashem. But people who are Ra will not be able to be with you. People who are Ra, again we said before, are those that know those that cause Onesh through others, even though they might be righteous, but if they cause others to be punished on their behalf, then it's Ra, it's bad, and you'll be excluded from the Mechitz of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just a Musa Haskell, in general when we're upset at people, that we have disagreements with people, our attitude should not be that Hashem should take revenge on them, should punish them, but simply that Hashem should rectify our situation, and let Hashem handle issues with the other individual. Because again, here, if you, Davin, or you, ask God to intervene and punish the other individual, the Gemara says you're going to be held accountable for that. From two perspectives, the Gemara and Brachot says that if you ask for someone else to be punished, then the Medet Adin looks at your ledger also, and more importantly over here, that then you'll be called Ra, and you'll be excluded from being in the Mechitzah of a Kodesh because you caused the downfall of others. How do we know this chalashim that's used in the Mishnah means from Purim? Purah means a lot. How do we know that? How you've come down from the heavens? Hallel ben shachar. This star of the morning. You've been cut down at, on the land. agoyim. Throwing lots on the nations. Amar mitil Is referring to the book of Netzach. It says that he used to throw lots on Gdolei Machut onto the princes or the kings. To know whose turn it was to be sodomized by Nebuchadnezzar. Uchtiv, and it says, that all the kings of the nations, kulam. here we don't have the end of the Pasuk, but the end of the Pasuk is, everyone lighting glory back in their own homes. They were no longer subjected to this sodomization by Nebuchadnezzar. So they're going to rejoice at the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar because they'll be freed of this problem. The whole life of Nebuchadnezzar, nobody was happy. There was no frivolity, nothing good that was happening. Settled down. The land was quiet. Broke out in rejoicing. The indication is that only after Nebuchadnezzar is deposed do we have this rina. But until that point in time, there was no rina. Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yochanan, asur One may not stand in the house of that rasha, Nebuchadnezzar. Shneamar In the house of Nebuchadnezzar, the sirim shedim are dancing over there, and they're having a party. They're having a party about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is gone, so I wouldn't go in there because it's a dangerous place to enter. Oto when that Rasha, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to do the Oto Tzadik to Tzidkiyahudis, his or his uncircumcised Ever extended 300 amot. And it went around the entire feast that he was throwing at that time. Shneamar Savata Kalon Mikavod you got embarrassment instead of honor. Shteim gamata veharel. You should drink you and the arel. What's the arel? Arel in Gematria is 300. Havi, so that's what happened in order to protect Tzidkiah. Hashem had this miracle happen that his aver extended to make it impossible for him to sodomize Tzidkiah. So this is again, what the Gemara was referencing above that we can read that whole Pasuk about Netzar. Here's the explanation of that Pasuk. That number one was that Muchanetzar had embarrassment instead of Kabod. Here he wanted to take to sodomize him, and instead, this unusual physical feature happens to him, and that's embarrassing. And how do we know what it was? That's based on Arel from the Gemachio of Arel, that it went 300 amot, that is, Arel extended in order to prevent him from doing this to When he went down to Gainom, the whole Gainom started to shake. Oh no, maybe he's coming to rule over here. He was really bad the world, now he's going to come rule over us? Or is he coming to be wiped out and destroyed like the rest of us? Meaning, is he coming here for punishment or is he coming to rule over us? You will also be punished and taken down like us. You are similar to us. I mean, that he's not going to rule over them. He's going to be in the same bucket as they are. It says, from who are you pleasant or pleased? Rida, go down. Rashkivayat And lay down Airelim. Meaning that he's going down to Geinom and he's going to be there with the rest of them. Once Nebuchadnezzar is gone, he's gone completely. He's not coming back. He's not going to rule somewhere else. He's gone, Legamre. He's going to have the same lot as all those other people that are found in Geinom. Ech Shavat Noges, Shavta Madeva. The oppressor has rested. Shavta Madeva, the city of Madheva is now quieted. Because now Nebuchadnezzar is gone, there's no longer this oppression. And the capital city has also fallen silent. I'm Yvedam Rav, Shavta, Uma, Zu Shamra, have now quieted or stilled this nation that said, Madod Veheve, count and bring. As Rashi points out, what is Madod Veheve? The money, Maot with Zav. Either they imposed taxes on the places that they conquered, or when they conquered them, they asked them to bring all their money. They took everything away from them, they took all the spoils. Just keep bringing, keep bringing without any measurement. I didn't ask for a specific amount. They said, just bring everything. They kept asking them for more and more. They were never satisfied with what they took. They took everything. And Daniel talks about Netzar It says, this additional thing that you gave to me that when Netzer, after he was exiled, go live with the animals for a number of years and comes back to be the king, not only is he a king over the humans, he's also a king over the animals. So that's what the Pasuk means, that I got this additional thing. Not only was I king over the land and over the people, I was a king over the animals. And there it teaches you, he used to ride a male lion, and he had a snake wrapped around his head. And that comes to fulfill the Pasuk that says, Gamet that even the wild animals of the field were given to Budecha Netzar as servants. Then when Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule over the world, it means over everything. Not just the humans, but over the entire natural world so that the animals were a subject to his rule as well. He showed that by riding on a lion and having a snake wrapped around his head. Obviously, animals that usually would not be tamed in such a manner, Bukhah had such a control over them. Okay, we'll stop over here.